You're listening to the Word of Hope, sermons preached at Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Today's sermon is preached by Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints, the ancient church had this wisdom, I think this is helpful, that the heart or the conscience is like a window. And the result is that when the heart or the conscience is dirty, then everything looks dirty. Uh, You know, if you have a dirty window in your car or a dirty window in the house and the sun comes through it and everything outside is just a little bit, you know, hazy and you can't see it quite clearly and and everything inside also looks dirty. I I got a new window on my truck uh, yesterday and it's amazing how nice and clean the whole place looks, (laughs) the whole town. I didn't realize how bad it was. When you get a clean window, now you can see how things as they as they really are. And that's the point. With a dirty window, everything outside looks dirty, everything inside looks dirty. With a clean window, it doesn't make everything look clean, but it lets you see things clearly. When you have a dirty conscience, everything in the world looks frightful. It looks like everything's after you. You you run at the rustling of a leaf. And the and the other thing that happens, like the dirty window, the dirtier the window gets, the more you start to see, instead of being able to see outside, the more you see your own reflection on everything that you're looking at. And you start to see with a dirty conscience the whole world as a, as a reflection of your own sin. Now repentance, one of the benefits, maybe the, one of the chief benefits with repentance, is that when we repent of our sins, the Lord Jesus cleans the window of the conscience. John says it like this, to the, to the unclean, everything, to the unpure and unclean, everything is unclean and unpure, but to the pure, all things are clean. It's quite stunning. Now, that, that study of the, of the unclean conscience or of the troubled conscience is what we see in, in the story of Joseph and specifically in the story of Judah as it has to do with Joseph. And that's what we want to talk about tonight. Now we have this unfolded, unfolding, it's a, it's a beautiful story at the end of the book of Genesis. You remember that, uh, that Jacob called Israel, so Jacob and Israel, same guy, he had eventually 12 sons. But he had at first 10 sons from uh, his second wife and his first wife's concubine and his second wife's concubine until he finally had the, uh, uh, the 11th boy, Joseph, by the woman that he truly loved. And he favored that boy, Joseph. And he, he gave him all sorts of special treatment. And his brothers, including Judah, got angrier and angrier and more and more bitter. Uh, Jacob would send the 10 boys out to watch after the flock and to tend the sheep, while Joseph got to stay at home and wear a coat, a fancy coat, of many colors. Maybe it was this kind of fancy coat. Maybe it was a white coat with a colored hem around it. But the point of this coat that Joseph wore was that he was the favorite. So the other ten, his older brothers, are out in the, in the fields and they're looking over the flocks and they're doing all the hard work. And in the meantime, they're talking about how Joseph doesn't do, any, do anything at all and they're getting angrier and angrier and more and more bitter so that at last when Joseph comes to visit, they're so angry that they grab a hold of him and throw him in the pit and they're going to murder him. 
And they're sitting there trying to sort out if they ought to murder him, how they should murder him, what they should do when a band of slave traders goes by and they say, here's an even better idea. Let's sell him into slavery. We can even make some money off of our treachery. So they sell Joseph into slavery. They take his coat of many colors. They tear it to shreds. They dip it in blood. And they come home with his jacket and they say to their father, Jacob, is this the coat of your son Joseph? And he tears his clothes and he weeps. He, he says, I'm, I'm mournful almost to the point of death. It's great sadness that he has. Now Judah is there and Reuben and the other boys, these ten brothers, and they see what they've done. And this, this sin is going to haunt them. We'll see how. Because in the meantime, Joseph has sold down into slavery in Egypt and a, a number of incredible things are unfolding. He's bought by this man, Potiphar, who seems like he's a great, maybe like a captain of the army in, in Egypt or something like this. And, and he hires Joseph as a slave. shows himself to be incredibly wise and resourceful. And he rises up to where he's ruling over all of Potiphar's house. And he's doing great by Potiphar. And he catches the eye of Potiphar's wife, who's trying to seduce him. Day after day, trying to seduce him. And Joseph won't do it. He's faithful till finally Potiphar's wife grabs a hold of him, tries to pull him into bed. He runs away and she's, and he's, he's naked except for again, the coat in her hand. And she yells and the other servants come. And now Potiphar says, what have you done? And he throws him in prison. And you just, Joseph is just up and down. So now he's in prison. And you remember what happens? He's sitting there in prison and he again shows himself to be wise and useful so that he rises up. So he's, even though he's a prisoner, he's in charge of all of the other prisoners. And one day Pharaoh, just on a whim, decides to throw his cupbearer and his baker into prison. So they go into prison and Joseph's looking after them. And one morning he's going to bring them breakfast and he sees their faces and they have this horrible look on their faces like they're white like sheets. And he says, what's wrong with you guys? And they said, we had these terrible dreams. So Joseph says, well, dreams belong to the Lord. I mean, remember, he had had a couple of dreams that got him in trouble about the stars that bowed down to him, about the sheaves of wheat, about how the Lord would exalt him over his brother. So he knows that he knows about dreams and that dreams belong to the Lord. So the cupbearer says, here's my dream. There's three vines and I was holding a cup and I squeezed the grapes into one of the cup and I, I gave it to the Pharaoh. And Joseph says, oh, that's a great dream. It means in three days you'll go back to your office as the cupbearer. Pharaoh will restore you and you'll be back in your place. And when you do, remember me. Tell Pharaoh that, hey, there's this guy in prison and you should let him go. Well, the baker is encouraged by the dream and he says, well, I had a dream too. I, I, here's what it was. I had three baskets of bread on my head. And, uh, and Joseph says, oh, uh, sorry, buddy, bad news. Your dream is not so good. In three days the Pharaoh is going to have your head cut off. Uh, There's a play in words in the text. Moses says, in three days, Pharaoh Pharaoh lifted up the heads of the cupbearer and the baker. The cupbearer's head was lifted up because he was brought back to his office, and the baker's head was lifted up because he was hung and decapitated. (laughs) And so the dreams come true, but but the cupbearer forgets to tell Pharaoh about Joseph. So he's still there in prison for years. Until at last, Pharaoh has these dreams. Remember the dreams of Pharaoh? He had the dreams of these seven huge, big, fat calves, cows. And then up out of the Nile come seven skinny, scrawny cows. And the seven scrawny cows eat the big, fat cows. 
And then he has the dream of seven sheaves of wheat, these fancy grains of wheat, and then seven more scrawny grains of wheat, and the scrawny grains of wheat devour the big grains of wheat, and, and Pharaoh's distraught by these dreams. What do they mean? And all the wise men of Egypt cannot interpret the dream, and the cupbearer says, oh, you're going to kill me. I totally forgot about this guy, Joseph. So Pharaoh calls for Joseph. He shaves. I just, it tells us that he shaved and changed clothes. So you got to get the sense that he was like castaway. You know, he's got this long beard from being in prison and he's got a raggedy robe. So he, he shaves and gets cleans up and goes to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh says, I have a dream. Can you tell me the interpretation? The interpretation belongs to the Lord. What's the dream? And he interprets it. There's going to be seven good years and then seven bad years, seven years of abundance and then seven years of famine. And then Joseph goes on to say, now here's what you should do. You should collect one fifth, 20% of all the goods during the seven years, store it up in grains, and then you'll have enough for the seven years of famine. So sure enough, Pharaoh says, who's wiser than Joseph? And he puts Joseph over all of Egypt. I mean, here's Joseph on this roller coaster ride. He's exalted in Egypt above everyone else. Pharaoh gives him his ring. He says, the only way that I'm above you is according to the throne, but otherwise you're in charge. Make it happen. And Joseph gets to work, and he does it. And now Egypt is provided for. There's this famine over the whole place as the Lord warned Pharaoh after seven years, there's this famine and the Lord provides for his people. Uh, Sorry, the Lord provides through Joseph for Egypt and he's doing this to provide for his people. But that's where it starts to get interesting. Because in the meantime, Judah or Jacob and his 10 boys, he's added another boy to it, Benjamin, the boy that he, his youngest, the one that he loves, they're also affected by the famine. So Jacob says to the ten boys, not to Benjamin, to the ten boys, he's not going to let Benjamin out of his sight. Now, now look at this. He had let Joseph go to see his brothers, and he had died. He's not going to let Benjamin out of his sight. So he sends the ten down to Egypt. They've got grain down in Egypt. Go and get some grain. So they go, the ten boys. They go down. They go and visit. Joseph sees them, and he recognizes them. There's my brothers. He asks them about their father. He asks, do you have any other brothers? And they say, yes, we have the youngest brother, Benjamin. So he has a a brother that he doesn't even know about, and he finds out about it. The text says that he learns these things, and he has to run out of the room weeping. He's so happy to see his brothers, but they don't recognize him. Why? is because the men in Egypt wore that kind of mascara, you know. The <laughs> or what, I mean, he just, they, they didn't know what he looks like. I mean, he's, to, he's almost Egyptian. He has two Egyptian wives. He's, just, he's speaking to them, not in Hebrew. He's speaking to them in Egyptian through a translator. And so they don't know it's him. So he fills up their sacks and he sends them home, but he does two things. He says, come back and bring your brother. I won't look, I won't see your face unless you bring your brother. And he puts their money back in their bags. They don't even realize it until they get home and they open their bags full of all the grain and they're like, what's our money doing in here? We're in trouble. Well, they had enough grain for a year, but the famine didn't get any better. And you've got to think that they're wondering, what is happening? Why, why is our money still here? What does this mean? And you start to get the feeling when you're reading through the text that especially Judah is hearing the, is, is thinking that what is happening to them is because of what they did to their brother Joseph. And that thought, that guilty conscience, is going to intensify more and more and more. 
So finally, at last, Jacob, they run out of food, and so Jacob says, all right, boys, time to go back to Egypt to get some more food. You better take the money this time and give it back to them and take some more to pay for it. And, and the boys say, we can't go back unless we take Benjamin. Jacob says, you cannot take Benjamin. He's here with me. If something happens to him, I won't be able to survive it. It'll, it'll break my heart and I'll die. Benjamin stays with me. And Judah says, we can't go back unless we bring, unless we bring Benjamin. But here's what can happen. I will be a pledge for the boy. I will be a surety for the boy. His life for my life. Now, now just start to think about what's going on in Judah's heart and Judah's conscience. Because Judah knows what he's done to his brother Joseph, and now he's starting to realize, he's changing really, and he says, I'm not going to let Benjamin die. I will die before he dies. So they go. They go with Benjamin, the 11 boys down to Egypt. And they go and they find Joseph. In fact, they go to his house, and they bring him in there, and Joseph sets a feast for him. In fact, Joseph does it like this. He puts, he, he puts place markers down on the table, and he sets them in order of their age, their birth order. And they look, and they look where they're sitting, and they're like, wait, how did, we, how did he know that? And then, in front of Benjamin, they all had this huge, big feast in front of them, but then in front of Benjamin, he puts five times the amount of food. I mean, just piles his plate full. And he's looking, and he's looking at his brothers, and he loves his brothers, but they're looking at each other, and they're afraid. Now, look at the difference between a clean conscience and a troubled conscience. They're looking at all these blessings, and they're afraid of them, but Joseph is looking with this great joy. He knows what's going to happen. So finally, he says, this is my brother, this is Benjamin, this is great. They say, by the way, the first thing they say is, by the way, the money was in our bag. We thought we left it here with you, but the money was in our bag. Here it is back. And the servants say, no, we had the money. It must have been God that provided for you and so forth. And so they, so they fill up their sacks again with, with grain, and they're going to head back. But then Joseph does this. He says, fill up their bags with the wheat, but put their money back in the bag and take my silver cup and put it in the bag of Benjamin. So he does it. They tie up the bags, and off the brothers go, back to their father. And as soon as they're gone, Joseph sends the steward after them and says, go and stop them and inspect the bags. So he goes and he stops them as they're traveling home. He says, you've stolen something from my master Joseph. You've taken his silver cup. And they say, no, it, 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 we surely we didn't take the silver cup. Whoever took the silver cup, he'll die, and the rest of us will be slaves. And so they, they unload their bags and they open them up, and all of a sudden they see that there's money in them. They're like, what's going on again? And then they go from the oldest down to the youngest, inspecting the bags. There's the money, but no cup, money, but no cup, until they finally come to the bag of Benjamin, and they open it up, and there's Joseph's silver cup in the bag of Benjamin, and Judah tears his clothes because he knows that his life is forfeit. And he knows that his father is going to be undone because Benjamin is caught with his crime. And now the truth is going to come out. Judah sees this happening and he says, it must be that God is punishing me for our sin. It must be that God is destroying us because of what we did. It must be that God is now outing us because of our, our, our crime with Joseph. And he's going to finally admit that they had another brother, but that he died. Here's the text. Genesis 44, verse 6. 
When the steward overtook them, he spoke to them these words. They said to him, Why does my Lord speak such words as these? Far be it from your servants to do such a thing. Behold, the money that we found in the mouths of our sacks we brought back to you from the land of Cana. How then could we steal silver or gold from your Lord's house? Whichever of your servants is found with this cup shall die, and we also will be my Lord's servants. The steward said, Let it be as you say. He who is found with it shall be the servant of Joseph. The rest of you will be innocent. And each man quickly lowered the sack to the ground, and each man opened his sack, and he searched, beginning with the eldest and ending with the youngest, and the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. And then they tore their robes, and every man loaded his donkey, and they returned to the city. When Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, He was still there, and they fell before him to the ground. Joseph said to them, What is this that you've done? Do you not know that a man like me can indeed practice divination? And Judah says, What shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how can we clear ourselves? Now listen to his confession of sins. God has found out the guilt of your servants. Now what was that guilt? They didn't steal the money. They didn't steal the cup. What was the guilt? They murdered Joseph. At least that's what they thought. God has found out the guilt of your servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and also in whose hand the cup has been found. But then he said, far be it from me that I should do so. Oh, sorry. Then Joseph said, far be it from me that I should do so. Only the man in whose only the man in whose hand the cup was found shall be my servant. But as for the rest of you, go in peace to your father. But then Judah goes to him and says, O my Lord, please let your servant speak a word into my Lord's ear and let not your anger burn against your servant, for you're like Pharaoh himself. My Lord asks his servant, saying, Have you a father or a brother? And we said to my Lord, We have a father, an old man, and a young brother, the child of his old age, and his brother who is dead. Just imagine Joseph listening to Judah finally admit that he existed, but that he had died. That's stunning, really. His brother is dead, and he alone, that is Benjamin, is left of his mother's children, and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, bring him down to me that I may set my eyes on him. We said to my Lord, the boar cannot leave his father. If he should leave his father, his father would die. And you said to your servants, unless the youngest brother comes down with you, you shall not see my face again. When we went back to your servant, my father, we told him the words of my Lord. When our father said, go again, buy us a little food. We said, we cannot go down if our younger brother doesn't go with us. So he'll come down, for we cannot see the man's face unless the youngest brother is with us. Then your servant, my father, this is Judah still talking. Then my servant, your father, said to us, You know that my wife bore me two sons. One left me. And I said, Surely he has been torn to pieces. And I have never seen him since. If you take this one from me also, and harm happens to him, you will bring down my gray hairs in evil to Sheol. So as soon as... As I came to your servant, my father, and the boy is not with us, then as his life is bound to the boy's life, as soon as he sees that the boy is not with us, he will die, and your servants will bring down the gray hairs of your servant, our father, to the sorrow of Sheol. For your servant, this is Judah, became a pledge of safety for the boy to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father all my life. 
Therefore, please, now here's the key thing. And this is really what Joseph was after. It's really what the Lord was after. This repentance. Remember Judah, who was willing to let Joseph be sold into slavery and let him be gone, even if his father was sorrowful about it. But now he's going to say, let me take his place. Send Benjamin back. I'll stay. Spare his life. Kill me. Let him free. I'll be your slave. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord. Let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if this boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that would find my father. Now, instead of, instead of letting his father be sorrowful over the death of Joseph, now he won't let it happen. He'll die instead. Judah will die instead. So he knows that his sin has found him out and he's willing to do anything to make it go away. Such is our state with a fallen, unclean, sinful conscience. We'll do anything to make it better. Now Joseph, it's amazing that Joseph sees this and simply comes undone. He he knew his brother's rage, but now he sees their sorrow, their sorrow over what they've done to him, their willingness to let to, to, to let themselves be sold into slavery so that Benjamin can be free. He sees this and he sends everyone out except for his brothers and he just starts weeping, wailing, so that even though the servants of, and all the people in Joseph's house have left the house, they can hear him crying and they go tell Pharaoh what's happened, that it's Joseph and his brothers that are there. And so he finally is going to reveal himself to his brothers. And listen to how it goes. Chapter 45, Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by. He cried, make everyone go out for me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers and he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is your, is our father, is my father still alive? But look what happens. The brothers couldn't answer him. Why not? They were dismayed, it says, as his presence. They were afraid. They thought, Joseph, you're the last person we want to see. We know what we've done to you. We know how we've sinned against you. We know how we've wronged you. We know what we deserve from you. And now our life is in your hands. We should get death for death, punishment for punishment, hatred for hatred. They know that they deserve from Joseph not mercy, not kindness, not love, but prison, but death, but casting off. But Joseph said to his brothers, verse 4, come near to me, please come near. And they came near and he says, I am your brother Joseph who you sold to Egypt. Don't be distressed. Don't be angry with yourself because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land for two years. There's five years still, which there'll be neither plowing nor harvest. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep you alive for many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He's made me a father to Pharaoh, a lord of all of his house, and a ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry, go to my father. Say to him, thus says your son, Joseph, God has made me lord of Egypt. Come down, don't tarry. You shall 
dwell here. You shall, you shall be near me. Your children and your children's children, your flocks and your herds, etc., etc. Hurry, bring my father down here. And then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept on his neck. And he kissed all of his brothers and wept upon them. And after this, the brothers talked together. Absolutely, absolutely stunning. Joseph is not holding their sin against them, but he's forgiving them their sins. He's giving them a good conscience. He's handing them over to the Lord's mercy. He says, all this, the sin that's been chasing you down for all of these years, let it be gone. Let it run after you no more. Because, and this is, I think, when we really understand what's going on in the text, because as we read about Joseph going to, to Egypt and being a, a, a servant and then going to prison and sitting there in prison and all of this sort of terrible thing, that that prison, the prison that Joseph is in, is nothing compared to the prison that Judah was living in and all of his brothers. The prison of their sin. The prison of an unclean conscience. The prison of regret. The prison of knowing that they've wronged their brother, that they are murderers, that they deserve wrath, and they're running and running and running from that sin, and finally here the running stops. And this is how it is for us. When we come to Christ, to to the church, to the gospel, to the word of God, to the absolution, to the supper, the running from our sin stops. Jesus says, your sin will not chase you any longer. It's forgiven. Your guilt will not run you down any longer. It's atoned for. Your shame will not chase after you. I've died for that. I've washed it away with my blood. I've set you free from that. And Jesus takes His blood and He washes the window of our conscience so that it's clean. So that your guilt cannot be a tyrant over you. So that your sin cannot run you down. So that your shame cannot manipulate you so that your fear does not drive you. Jesus says, like Joseph to his brothers, I'm not angry with you. I love you. Isaiah 12. O Lord, you were angry with me, but your anger has been turned away. Dear saints, the anger of God over your sin is turned away. God is not mad. There's nothing to be afraid of from heaven. The Lord Jesus loves you. He delights in you. He's prepared a place for you. And He does not want your sin and your guilt and all the things that you've done wrong chasing you around. That's why He says to you that your sins are forgiven. It's finished. It's over. Your conscience is clean. Joseph is grabbing onto the neck of Benjamin and weeping for joy. This is what we have to look forward to. When we stand before God on the judgment day, we have so much to be afraid of. But like Joseph to his brothers, Jesus will not despise you or cast you off from your sin, but will grab a hold of you by the neck and will weep over you with joy. Because all your sins are gone. Cast into the depth of the sea. God be praised. Repentance, we learn from Jacob, from Judah, from Joseph, 
Repentance gives us a clean conscience. Amen. And the peace of God which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Word of Hope. We hope your time with us was one of joy and peace in hearing the Lord's Word and kindness. If you have questions about anything you heard on today's broadcast, please don't hesitate to contact us at office at hope-aurora.org or call the office at 303-364-7416. For more information about our congregation, for locations, service time, and schedule, please visit our website at www.hope-aurora.org. Thank you for listening to the Word of Hope.